Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Another rail union says no to that tentative deal. Nurses in California on a five-day strike. And today on the show, the Southeast Minnesota building trades and the latest from the United Steelworkers. Welcome to the Friday, October 28th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Nate O'Reilly is going to be our first guest on the show today. He comes to us from the Southeast Minnesota Building Trades. Website is semnbctrades.org. Nate serves as president. We'll talk about workforce development, outreach, recruitment, apprenticeships, and also a medical center that's uh, bringing a lot of work. His background? He's an iron worker by trade since 2004, been a business rep since 2015, and president of the council. That's the Southeast Minnesota Building Trades Council since 2017. little background on the council. They provide leadership to union members, promote and support the development of advanced knowledge by skilled workers. They offer guidance and support to owners as well as signatory contractors, And the council advances the building and construction trades by promoting adherence to applicable building codes and safety standards while also working with owners and operators to reduce overall building costs. So they do it all. Just run down a couple of the unions that are part of the council, the painters, tapers, and glazers. That would be local 681, operating engineers, local 49, Local one of the bricklayers. Mentioned the iron workers. That would be 512. Sprinkler fitters, 669. Roofers and waterproofers, 96. Electricians, that would be uh, 343. Plumbers and pipe fitters, local 6. Labors, local 405. Sheet metal workers, local 10. Cement masons, 633. Millwrights, 548. Carpenters, 1382. Heat and frost insulators, that would be local 34. Elevator constructors, 9, local 9. And the boiler makers, local 647, all making up the southeastern Minnesota Building and Construction Trades Council. Teresa Cassidy will be joining us later in the show. And she is an assistant director of District 1 of the United Steelworkers, USW.org, the national website. And a proud sponsor of America's Workforce. District 1 used to be the state of Ohio in about, I want to say, maybe a year, year and a half ago. They encompass Michigan. So it's all of Ohio as well as Michigan. She's going to talk about their election program. Boy, it's important that, uh, well, if you are registered and hope that's the case, that you exercise your vote and educate yourself on the issues. Background on Teresa. Boy, I tell you, she goes back to uh, 1995 when she started working at an injection molding plant called 
Intermetro Industries. That was in Fostoria, Ohio. The workers there were a unit of an amalgamated local. That would be USW Local 1915. They made crash carts for hospitals, shelving for restaurants, among other things. Then in the year 2000, she left there, started as a green tire trucker in the curing department at Cooper Tire and Rubber. Now, that's where her father and uncle also worked. Well, she became active with local 207, 207L, as the Women of Steel Chair, and eventually became a union steward. Then, in uh, November of 2011, I remember this one. This was crazy. Cooper Tire locked out 1,050 members right after Thanksgiving. Well, when that happened, she got real active during the lockout, and uh, she traveled to Serbia to meet workers at the plant that Cooper bought, and that was part of what they called the Journey for Justice team that included members of the Bakery Workers Union. That was also locked out by American Sugar in North Dakota and Minnesota. So, Teresa did uh, six states. And her crew. She had had a number of people with her all together with the Bakers Union. Six states in six days. Bringing awareness of the difference between a lockout and a strike. She uh, traveled to different tire dealerships. Hand-building customers about the lockout. Also organized three different food drives for members to shop at their union hall. Just to name a few. Then, in May of 2012... She joined the strategic campaigns at the international headquarters in Pittsburgh. While in that department, she worked with members across the country who are getting ready to go into tough bargaining on how to legally put pressure on the employer within the four walls of where they work and build solidarity among the members, building power. In uh, 2015, Director Dave McCall who we have had on the show many, many times. Boy, here's a fighter. 40-plus years in the steel union. He uh, asked Teresa if she uh, wanted to come home, and he offered her the Women of Steel and Civil Rights Coordinator position for District 1. And as I mentioned, District 1 is now Ohio and all of Michigan. And then in uh, July of 2019, The new director of District 1, Donnie Blatt, said, you know what, Teresa, I want you to be my assistant director. And that's exactly what happened. So Teresa Cassidy will be our second guest. What an incredible rise to the top. She's a fighter. She is a fighter, no doubt about that. And now let's take a look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management since 1928. Well, a second railroad union, this would be the Brotherhood of Railroad Singlemen, has rejected the tentative rail union agreement, which was reached in mid-September. Vote was 60 to 40 percent. The president stated that workers are disappointed with the lack of good faith bargaining regarding paid time off proposals. Now, the negotiations will continue. Between that union, that's the Brotherhood of Railroad Singlemen, and the National Carriers Conference Committee, that will continue until December 4th. However, 
the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way employees, which is the first union to reject the deal, they can go on strike as early as November 19th. And that is right around the corner. Now, when you put those two unions together, the Railroad Singleman and Brotherhood of Maintenance Way, altogether they represent about 34,000 workers. Maintenance Way, 24,000. Singleman, about 10,000. That's out of 115,000 railway workers nationwide across 12 unions, six of which have already ratified the deal. Once again, I uh, call attention to a uh, podcast that we did a couple of weeks ago. And if you go to awfpodcast.com, Dennis Pierce, who's the guy in the middle of all this? He was chosen by the unions to coordinate what's going on. He gave us the specs on what has to happen. And there's a lot of things that have to happen if these uh, individuals decide to go on strike, these, uh, these unions. Again, 12 of them, six already have ratified the deal, but you got to get them all. Nearly 2,000 registered nurses at the Alta Bates Summit Medical Center campuses, this would be in Oakland and Berkeley, California, began a five-day strike on Monday in response to high turnover rates and staff shortages. Now, these nurses are represented by the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United. They called on Sutter Health to implement workplace violence prevention plans and equip workers with more robust resources to enable them to do their jobs more effectively, which include addressing unsafe workplace conditions. This is a big issue. You got a lot of ornery patients out there who uh, take out their frustrations on the medical staff. And they say something's got to be done about it. Got a comment here from Mike Hill. Mike is a nurse in uh, Sutter's intensive care unit. He said, I'm seeing nurses leave the medical center for other nursing positions on a regular basis. We have nurses working overtime, even double shifts day after day to keep the hospital running. Sutter has to create working conditions to enhance patient care while also providing a safe work environment that retains nurses. you got a balancing act there. And Gabler, registered nurse for over 40 years, said she's never seen Sutter act this disrespectfully toward nurses. And it's causing experienced health care providers to leave. And said in a statement, without proper mentorship, we see young nurses suffering the moral injury and the distress of having to care for patients without the support they need. So they leave. And guess what? This is not how you grow the next generation of nurses or how you take care of a community. We need Sutter to step up to address our concerns about retention so we can continue to provide excellent care for our patients. Now, here's the... uh, latest on the contract it includes a pay increase of more than 20 percent but that's over four years and a commitment to pursuing initiatives aimed at promoting diversity and advancing equity among its employees along with continued health coverage for nurses and their families now i just want to point out that uh, this strike which started on monday is just the latest 
in a slew of labor actions in recent months among healthcare workers throughout the Bay Area. And this pretty much mirrors a larger trend in the country. The walkout comes less than a week after some 2,000 Kaiser Permanente mental health care employees approved a four-year contract ending an unprecedented, grueling, 10-week-long strike over staffing shortages, wages, and patient care. We talked about that on the show. In fact, we had the head of that union on. And another note here, a Valley Physicians Group. Valley Physicians Group, that's a union representing about 450 doctors employed by Santa Clara County, announced its intention to hit the picket line on Tuesday of next week, November 1st. Same kind of issues. So there's a lot of frustration out there, a lot of frustration. One more here uh, before we break. I mentioned this the other day. The um, AFL-CIO announced this week as Retirement Security Week. And this goes in line with uh, what may or may not happen at the polls on November 8th. There's a lot of candidates out there that do not like Social Security and Medicare as it stands today. They want to chop it down. In some cases, get rid of it altogether. I mean, this has been going on since the start of Social Security. This is really nothing new. But it's been picking up steam. And uh, the AFL-CIO, what they've done here, they did a uh, retirement security report card on the candidates. And they're doing this in conjunction with the Alliance for Retired Americans. Rich Fiesta talked about this on the show a week ago today. And it reads as follows. Imagine working hard every day at your job, contributing to your community and growing the economy for 40, maybe 50 years. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You work hard and you expect to have a pretty decent retirement, right? Then all of a sudden, after a lifetime of giving your time and energy, all you want is to retire with dignity. But your employer and your government say, well, thanks for everything, but you can't afford retirement. Go back to work. That's what's happening right now. As many as half of all working people will retire in poverty. Let me repeat that. As many as half of all working people will retire in poverty. 57% of workers today have no retirement at all. None. None. Now, I'm not including Social Security on that. I'm talking about a pension, things of that nature. Or if they have a 401k, they got a couple thousand dollars in it. How long that will last you? You know the answer to that, right? Big corporations, says the AFL-CIO, have slashed pensions and other retirement benefits just to pad their own bottom lines. Extremist politicians, well, they want to gut our pensions, slash Social Security payments, and end Medicare as we know it. We deserve better than this this November we will let them know. So I urge you to go to voter.aflcio.org. Get a lot of information. What's on the ballot, who's on the ballot, and how they stand on these issues and much more. Let me repeat that. That's a voter.aflcio.org. 
quick break. When we come back, Nate O'Reilly will be joining us on behalf of the Southeast Minnesota Building Trades. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. And if you go to the uh, American Federation of Teachers website, aft.org, you can follow their bus tour, Randy Weingarten who we're going to feature on the show next week, is traveling around the country educating people about the importance of voting. So many people have registered to vote, but they don't exercise their votes. So she is trying to educate them on the issues. And we'll talk more about that later in the show with uh, Teresa Cassidy on behalf of the Steelworkers. Right now, let's go to uh, line number one. Joining us from Rochester, Minnesota, is Nate O'Reilly. Nate's the president of the Southeast Minnesota Building Trades, and he's an iron worker by trade going back to uh, 2004. The uh, Southeastern Minnesota Building Trades Council has uh, 15 affiliated unions, 16,000 members when you add them all up, and that's spread over 14 counties. Now, Nate, did I get that all correct? Is that right? Uh, yes, you did. Okay, good, good, good. So you're an iron worker by trade. I always ask my guests, well, why did you get involved in the trades? A lot of times there's a family member involved, but in your case, what's the story, Nate? Uh, in my case, I kind of fell into it by accident. Um, after high school, not really knowing what to do, I was in the military, um, kind of fumbled my way through, ended up uh, starting out my career as a non-union iron worker, and then uh, through some job sites. I traveled all over the United States and ran into some organizers that uh, educated me about union. Uh, I was born and raised in Minnesota and came back home to Minnesota and uh, joined up with Local 512, I believe is about 2004. 
And speaking of 512, that's uh, Barry Davies who uh, heads that local, right? We had him on the show last week. Yes, Barry Davies is our business manager here and, uh, you know, great guy to work with, work for, uh, really does a good job. And I just want to point out, we've been uh, recording the show since the uh, pandemic, so it's been a number of years at Ironworkers Local 17, which is near downtown Cleveland, Ohio. Do you know uh, Rich Jordan, the business manager here? I know him a little bit, run into him, you know, various conferences, uh, conventions, stuff like that. I believe we've met and spoke a couple of times. There you go. We should point out, too, that the Southeast Minnesota Building Trade website is semnbctrades.org. You can get a lot of information. You can see all the uh, affiliated unions, which I ran down at the beginning of the show. So talk to me about your uh, apprenticeship program, how we fare. And I know there's a lot of work. I remember talking to Barry last week about the work. But uh, obviously, you, you go beyond the iron workers. For, so, so speaking of all the, those affiliated unions, how are we faring right now? Um, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, I know things are really busy in the southeast part of the state. Uh, everybody's kind of holding their own. Obviously, could always use some more folks. And But all of our affiliates uh, reaching out to uh, get people, educate them about the option of an apprenticeship. So... You know, looking for more people, continue to do outreach, but uh, overall holding our own, but could do better. Are, are there any projects that maybe hold up because there are not enough workers? I know I know for a fact, like in central Ohio, we talked to uh, Dorsey Hager over there monthly, and uh, they're, they're making it happen, but they're just building and building and building. They're doing the uh, the Intel plant. They're getting ready for that. They just broke ground on that. I mean, there's, I'm just wondering, like in, in southeast Minnesota, what's the situation there? I mean, you could, I would imagine some of the trades are a little bit nervous right now. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit nervous. I mean, there's always the workforce shortage, but, you know, that's the high-level sort of stuff. We just really got getting into the weeds of it as far as us union building trades apprenticeship programs because we have been doing them for over 100 years. Um, we've constantly been replenishing and replacing uh, our workforce and training them up. Uh, so it's really kind of a balance between, you know, you can't bring in too many because there's not enough jobs for them. But in southeast Minnesota, you know, we're good on market share. So a lot of the workforce shortage doesn't impact us as bad as, say, non-union or other industries. I understand there's a medical center over there that uh well it's a public private partnership i know you want to get into that 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 sounds pretty big to me can you tell me what's going on with that destination medical center is that the name of it yes it is so uh rochester is the headquarters and home of the world-renowned mayo clinic so in 2013 our state legislature passed a bill forming a public private partnership uh, in you know, conjunction with the state, the city, the county, Mayo Clinic, and other private entities for $6 billion. At the time, it was the largest in Minnesota, and I believe uh, back then it might have even been the uh, biggest in the country of a $6 billion public-private partnership. And what that was about was building up and developing Rochester as a global destination for health and wellness. So it's not like one specific project or building. It's an overall development plan for the entire area and actually the entire region. 
And how long is that going to continue as far as what they're just going to keep building and building and building on it or what? Yes. So it's uh, the plan was about a 15 or 20 year plan. Um, obviously, in 2013, it took a while, you know, for develop and design and things like that. And we're about halfway through that. So it really got rolling in 2015, 16 of actually putting our uh, you know members to work on projects and job sites, you know, building uh, hotel capacity, building uh, facilities for, you know, medical uh, research and development, medical device stuff, all kind of centered around, you know, what Mayo Clinic has going on and, uh, you know, the healthcare industry. Boy, that's uh, one clinic that's done an incredibly good job in branding themselves. I mean, they're top of the line every time a survey comes out. In the healthcare world, Mayo Clinic is number one, and it's good to see that it's expanding like that. You know, when you have something like a $6 billion project like that, what does that translate into when it comes to jobs, Nate? Um, yeah, it's probably uh, 200 to 250 uh, building trades, construction workers in and around the area per year. Um, that's the one thing, like, you know, when they say workforce shortage, it's not – you know, there's project A that needs 200 and project B that needs, you know, 200. So a total of 400, it's, that's 200 for project A that gets completed. Those move over to project B, so on and so forth. I'd also like to add to it that on top of this public-private partnership, Mayo Clinic uh, does capital improvements of about, they had been around 500 million to 750 million per year. They announced a capital improvement plan this past uh, spring for the next five years of spending 1.5 to 1.7 billion per year on top of the already six billion spread over 20 years. What, what are they taking over the entire city over there? My God, those are huge numbers, there, Nate. Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, right now there's a 110 million dollar 14 story project going on. There's a 35 million dollar parking ramp, and these are just they continue to grow um, to to develop the town and, and the area. Now, now the work that you just mentioned there, which is fantastic, is that spread? I mean, you got the 15 affiliated unions. Is that spread evenly across the trades, or is some or some trades maybe picking up more work than others? I think it's spread uh, pretty evenly across the trades. Okay. Um, Good. Whether these these projects, you know, whether it's a parking ramp, whether it's a hotel, uh, whether it's uh, a medical facility, all of the trades involved in that stuff, and then there's like ongoing. Several trades have a large, regular pre- presence, just doing maintenance and remodels and stuff inside of all of Mayo Clinic uh, facilities, hospitals, and clinics down there. That's fantastic. Good stuff. Nate O'Reilly joining us on our live line today. He is president of the Southeast Minnesota Building Trades. Again, the website is semnbctrades.org. We'll talk a little bit more with him. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of of recruiting workers because it sounds like things are really doing well over there in Southeast Minnesota. Teresa Cassidy will be joining us later in the show. She's assistant director of District 1 of the United Steelworkers. One of the many proud sponsors of America's Workforce. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens.
It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always like those five-star ratings. So please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment. ULAgency.org. In fact, we'll be hearing from Dave Meganhart, the executive director, on next Wednesday's show. Right now, let's go back to Rochester, Minnesota. Nate O'Reilly's joining us on our live line. He is the president of the Southeast Minnesota Building Trades, iron worker by trade since uh, 2004. Nate, I want to pick your brain a little bit. I, I know you wanted to get into uh, specifically workforce development and outreach, and I'm just wondering what you're doing. And I, I keep going back to this uh, scenario of high schools always prepping kids, for the most part, to go to college. You got to go to college. You got to. You want a good job, you got to go to college. I'm sure you've heard that a, a zillion times. And uh, now throw in the high cost of college, which is, I mean, there's people spending 30 years paying off college debt. It's ridiculous what's going on. And they don't have a job to support that. So um, I, I got to ask the question. You, you've got to be hitting the high schools on this and saying, wait a minute, there's a better way. There's, a, there's an apprenticeship program. There's no college debt. There's a pretty darn good job at the end of it all. What's the story on that, Nate? Yeah, I mean, obviously you hit the nail right on the head there that uh, our education system for the past three decades has done, you know, not a great job. It's just been exactly that about the, the measure of success is graduate high school, go to college and so on. But uh, the cost of that, the debt incurred, the, the return on investment to get a job to pay back that debt, um, just kind of ridiculous. So in Southeast Minnesota, uh, since I've been president and even the uh, folks before me, 
we've really tried to step up what we do as far as outreach to local high schools. Uh, we do several things on that front. Uh, for me, it's really personal because, you know, I found my way into the trades by accident, and I don't think that should happen. You know, we need to expose these young folks getting out of high school of all of their options available to them. And an apprenticeship training or registered apprenticeship training program is, uh, bar none, one of the best options available to them. So, Nate, do you have, on behalf of the Southeast Minnesota Building Trades Council, do you have a, a, a team of people that goes in respective high schools and talk about the gold standard when it comes to apprenticeship programs and say, you know what, there, there's something something here you might be interested in. Is, is that happening? Uh, yes. that uh, As a council in Southeast Minnesota, that is one of our uh, top priorities is the outreach to schools. Um there's a couple of different things we do statewide, all of the building trades with the state building trades council and the regional other regional councils. We work together with the outfit called construct tomorrow, which is uh, experiential hands-on all the trades are there. We invite in local high schools um, to expose these kids and the educators, their teachers and counselors uh, to what each trade is. They get a little uh, thing like that. The other thing we work on a lot is uh, apprenticeship readiness programs. Again, it's kind of a statewide thing, been expanding this building strong communities um, where the trades work together with various organizations to, you know, put on a apprenticeship readiness program to teach people about, you know, what the individual trades are, get the soft skills going, things like that. Uh, Specifically in Southeast, we're working with the community at technical college, which has a C-Tech um, area that works so high school students can go uh, to basically the technical college and get their high school credits to graduate. Well, they're working with us to develop uh, the NAB2 MC3 programming curriculum to work all of that together. So um, there we're, we're doing that specifically in Southeast, uh, see how that develops and happens. The other thing we do in Southeast is um, I've got 47 high schools in our area, and we reach out to all of them. And there's our education consortiums that we partner with as well to come into the schools. And essentially is what we do is a panel, right? We bring half a dozen of the trades come in, set aside an hour and a half to two hours, depending on the school, try to get multiple schools joined together. And then it's more of a, we do a presentation, but then get into the details of a Q&A and more, you know, a student stands up and says, I want to be an operating engineer. What is the pathway to, to get in there? Uh-huh. Sounds like you got a good business plan on that. And, and it's, it's got to be netting results. Well, when did you start this, this uh, kind of comprehensive attack? I don't, I, that might be a little harsh right now, but that's what it is. I mean, you're basically attacking a problem here because there's there's a workforce shortage in this country. So how long has that been going on, and, and how would you rate it right now, Nate? Well, we're it's been going on for about three or four years. COVID, of course, kind of messed all of that up, and you know, the schools and in-person stuff. Um, it started out more informal, and it actually started out the very first time an education consortium in the area who I'd uh, – 
worked with the industrial tech teacher at one school and then a uh, workforce development person inside that consortium. And they were actually having a seminar meeting one day with all of the area uh, industrial tech teachers. And they're like, hey, <laughs> a lot of them have no idea about apprenticeships. They have no idea about building trades. Would we come in and talk to them? So it kind of developed from there. We got invited back. It was word of mouth. But now this year, uh, before the end of the year, I actually want to get something developed that we do it on a regular schedule, like once a month, twice a month, and have schools sign up, and then we'll come in and bring that to them. Oh, that's awesome. That's really good to hear. Good to hear. All right, one more question here before I let you go. Sounds like you're a pretty busy guy getting all these programs going with uh, with all your unions. When it comes to organizing, you know there's a lot of non-union contractors out there how are we doing because the organizing climate as you well know is pretty darn good right now how uh, how are we fair and saying hey especially in those non-union ones you say hey you know what you could be doing a whole lot better if you come to the come to the right side over here what's what's uh, what's your answer to that um organizing all of the trades are doing organizing all of the time you know everybody is an organizer whether it's me organizing, going to a job site and talking to non-union iron workers, but I'm talking on behalf of all of the trades, uh, just exposing people to what else is out there. We all know organizing is a very, very, very tough job. Um, some of these folks, these non-union folks, they don't know what they don't know, but they have been, for lack of a better word, indoctrinated or maybe even have a negative attitude about unions, which is a whole lot of myths and misinformations. So uh, it's, it's a struggle, but uh, the climate right now is working, works well for us, right? Yeah. You know, if you're organizing somebody and he says, yeah, I'd like to join, well, then you need to have a job to place them on too. There you go. Makes a lot of sense. Nate O'Reilly joining us today. From Rochester, Minnesota, where he is president of the Southeast Minnesota Building Trades. Again, you can find more at semnbctrades.org. 16,000 members with uh, 15 affiliated unions over 14 counties. You take care, my friend. Sounds like things are going in the right direction. Let's uh, let's touch base down the road. I'd like to hear more about the results for what you're doing, reaching out to the high schools and the counselors. I'll tell you, it's, it, it's happening. It's good stuff. So let's uh, let's keep uh, keep in touch. Okay, brother? Yeah, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for allowing me the time and to share you with what's going on and your listeners in southeast Minnesota. That's what this show is all about. All right. Teresa Cassidy is an assistant director for District 1 of the United Steelworkers, and she is coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. 
The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are Steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. Now... Back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to Northwest Ohio right now. And joining us on line number two is Teresa Cassidy. Teresa is an assistant director with District 1 of the United Steelworkers. Proud sponsor of America's Workforce national website, USW.org, District 1. Used to just encompass Ohio, now it's Ohio and Michigan, which makes for interesting uh, football, especially in late November. <laughs> Teresa Cassidy, welcome to uh, America's Workforce. How are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Okay, Michigan fan or Ohio State fan? What's the story here? I am a Michigan fan. Oh, there goes the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I am a Michigan fan, and we did play off on that um, at our last conference that we had in Detroit. So um, it, it made it quite fun. Well, you beat us up pretty good last time, but uh, hey, we're playing in uh, Columbus this year, so uh, you know you know what they say about paybacks. <laughs> so this will be interesting. I, I know, I know. I've been through it the last, what, 10 years now? I hear so you. I hear you. It was it's, well-deserved. It's a great rivalry. It really is. It's, it's super. Well, I read. I practically read your entire bio at the beginning of the show today. I was so impressed with uh, the fight in you. I mean, really, the fight in you. I mean, going back to the mid 90s when you worked at that uh, injection molding plant but you know what I want to get into and I know you want to talk about the election coming up and and getting out the vote and making sure we vote for the right people here but Cooper Tire and Rubber I I remember the lockout and then you got involved with the Women of Steel you were the chair of that and all can, can you reflect back on that time what actually happened there and part of this conversation a lot of people don't understand the difference between a strike and a lockout can you get into that, right. uh, Teresa? Sure. So um, we did go through a, a approximately three-month lockout with Cooper Tire. Um, you know, we were in some tough bargaining and um, never seen uh, the company ever do anything like this. But it was the Monday after Thanksgiving that year. Everybody had reported into work and met the guards at the gate and told us to get off the property immediately. Everybody had went over to our union hall and learned um, later on that day that the company was locking us out and caught everybody by surprise. And at that time, there were 1,050 um, members working inside the, the plant. And, you know, we wanted to continue bargaining. We wanted to continue working 
why we were bargaining, but that's the difference between a lockout. The company had control over putting us out on the street. Um, you know, a strike is when uh, the union votes to, to go out on the street and um, bargain the contract while we're on the picket line. But Cooper decided, for whatever reason, they were going to change things up that year and put us out. We were out over um, Christmas and voted to go back on a tentative agreement. Um, it was around February of that year. Mm-hmm. So it it really caught everybody by surprise because we had never been in a labor dispute at all like that with with them. Um, so yeah, it was it was a trying time at that time for all of us. Yeah, that was over ten years ago, actually in November of 2011. How how were uh, relations now with uh, Cooper Tire? Didn't they did they get bought out or what? What's the story? They did. They they got bought out by Goodyear um, a few months ago and. Um, they're going through that transition period right now. Um, I, I'm hopeful that it's going to be a great change for for everyone, um, management and the workers, because, you know, that facility in Finley um, is one of the, the good un, union-paying jobs still in that community. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's where I still pay my union dues. That's home. I hear you. And a and a town like Finley too. When when you have a situation like that, that's devastating because it's it's a small community. I mean, compared to like a Cleveland or a Columbus or a Pittsburgh or something like that. So it's uh, it that uh, that at least uh, I'm I would imagine that management is long gone, and hopefully relations will get better. But this that journey took you to Serbia because Cooper had a plant there. That had to be interesting for you. Can you speak to that? Sure. It, it it was very interesting. It was um, right after the new year that year, and uh, another member and I were on a plane to Serbia because we had learned um, also the week that they had locked us out that they had acquired a, a plant in Serbia. Um, and they, those workers over there were told that um, they all had to leave the facility and if they wanted a job back in, in that plant that they had to reapply, did not matter how many years that they had uh, spent working at that plant, but they had all had to reapply. So we went over there. Um, we were in at the U.S. Embassy and uh, told us that the, they were there. The company was there to sign the papers to, you know, take over that facility. Um, and then we went and, and drove around the plant. We couldn't get on site because there were men at, at the gates um, armed. So we had drove um, to meet the mayor and his assistant in the town where this plant was. And while we were meeting them, um, they, the company wanted to meet with the union leadership. And they went and met with them. They were gone for maybe an hour or so, and they came back and said that uh, everybody could have their jobs, but they were going to be put on like a 30-day probation instead of having to reapply and see if they would get their jobs back. And those workers really, um, you would have thought they won a million dollars the way that they had acted, which if you stop and think about it, if you've got you know, 20, 25 years in a, in a facility and they're telling you that you have to reapply and not knowing if you're going to have your job versus 
you know, spending 30 days on a probationary period, that is, that is huge. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they felt that us being over there helped them get that. But we also felt the pressure that we put on Cooper because Cooper hated any negativity in the um, news or anything like that. And what we did over there was, you know, prepare those workers for or let them know what was going on with us. And till this day, I still have some connections with some of those workers over there through social media. They'll reach out and ask different questions um, about what's going on. And if I don't know the answer for it, I reach out to the local and, you know, make sure that they, they get the answers to their questions because that's that's a huge impact on workers and things that they fight for every day is making those connections and know what's going on in each other's facilities. Boy, that's something about the steel workers too. They have a global influence and, and what you just explained to our listeners is a good example of that. So, wow, what a learning experience for you. And now you're an assistant director to Donnie Blatt at uh, District 1. I have to ask you, when you when you going back to those mid-90s when you started, did you ever think that you would be an assistant director with the steel never. workers? I mean, never. No. Yeah. Never. <laughs> never. I, I never even thought that I'd work at the headquarters, let alone um, have the honor and privilege to serve um, as the assistant director alongside Donnie Blatt as the director. Well, you- you got you got a great bunch of people around you. You really do. I mean, I, I love Absolutely. so many of the members that have uh, come to the show and uh, speaking the truth like you are right now. So let, let's talk about what you're doing on uh, on getting the vote out and making sure people are educated. It's hard to believe there's a lot of people that uh, are not really clued in on where the candidates stand on very, very vital issues. And and a lot of this, and you know this, Teresa, this is by design. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot of confusion out there, and it's by design. I say that so voters don't go to the polls. They don't exercise their right. So that being said, what's the steelworkers doing about it? So actually, we started... um right after the first of the year holding town hall meetings uh, within our locals. And we did this across the entire United States um, where we had um, the town hall meetings to go in and talk about what our core values are within the organization. And it wasn't about, you know, telling our members who to vote for um, because the R's and the D's, do not matter as long as these politicians line up with our core values. And that's what we try to educate our membership on. You know, these core values like trade and retirement and domestic issues and safety and health and collective bargaining and health care, all of these things are always going to be on the table and can be taken away with a swipe of a pen. Um, you know, some of the, the moral issues that, that our members um have a hard time deciphering that we will never as an organization get involved with. It is simply the issues, the the core values that I had just, you know, named off. And so we went around the, the entire district, held these town hall meetings, asked our members to fill out surveys online. Um, and then, you know, any candidate that has 
wanted us to uh, support them or endorse them has to fill out a questionnaire. Um, if they don't fill out that questionnaire, they're absolutely not going to get our support. Um, so that started way back in the, like I said, in the early spring, um, doing those town hall meetings. And then uh, in late August, uh, we had some uh, casuals come out on the work, the political cycle that Director Blatt had pulled out. They went to headquarters, uh, attended a, a training, and we have them now in the different parts of the state going out and door knocking. Um, they've, they've wrote, I don't know how many postcards through not only the steel workers, but also through the Ohio AFL-CIO. And as of last Friday, and I apologize, I don't have the, the correct numbers um, yet for today, but as of last Friday, just our casuals, um, and we have eight of them, like I said, they've knocked on over 53,000 doors within the, the state. Wow. And combined with all the other um, people, you know, writing postcards just for the, the Ohio AFL, there were over 50,000. 53,000 uh, postcards for Tim Ryan, and we had just started doing some for the Supreme Court, um, the sisters-in-law, as we call them. Uh, 22,000 postcards had been uh, filled out for them. So our, our casuals are very, very busy um, during the day, and when they have some downtime, they'll um, you know attend any kind of roundtable discussion or anything like that with these candidates so that, um, you know, they know that they're, they're working for them and we're working for them also. So it's very, very important that we have candidates that support our um, core values um, and know that we're out here watching everything that they do on the votes that they, they cast. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll find out how successful this is coming up, uh, oh my gosh, here, what, 11 days away? That's uh, November yeah. 8th. Well, Teresa, sounds like uh, you got more work to do between now and that time. I'm going to let you go. Teresa Cassidy, Assistant Director, District 1 of the United Steelworkers. You take care. Keep up the fight. Let, let's talk down the road, okay? Sounds great. You have a great day. You got it. That's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, we're going to check with the United Association and Smart Local 441. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.